Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Caffeinated. I hope you guys are doing fantastic. My name is Samuel Adams, and we are going to be breaking down the hottest news over the weekend. Now, if you happen to be new to the show, I do want to kind of give you an overview of what we do here. You know, obviously, it's a pretty new podcast. It's a pretty new stream on Twitch. There's a lot of things that are brand new about the entire setup that we've got here. So, essentially, this was an idea uh, that kind of spawned from watching morning talk shows in the morning where I didn't really care about what was going on. And I figured that I would go ahead and make my own and talk about things that I genuinely cared about and that I knew that other people around me cared about as well. And so, with that being said, we had the birth of Caffeinated, which comes to you live on Twitch.tv slash The Samuel Adams every single weekday morning at 6 a.m. to help you wake up, to get you ready for the day. It's always an exciting time. And of course, it is recorded and then distributed via YouTube and podcast services around the world via Anchor.fm, a fantastic service that I'm not a, you know, it's no ad or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not about the ad life, you know, uh, but with that being said, Anchor is a fantastic way to distribute all of your different kinds of podcasts and things that you might work on, so that way you can keep up to date with everything that you need to know about what's going on with this show as well as the gaming news and any other podcast that you tend to uh, listen to, it's a fantastic little hub for all of that. Uh, with that being said, this is the Monday episode. At the time of recording this, it is 3... Tw- wait, uh, yes, March 26. I almost said 3.26 in the morning. That's a little bit early. Uh, no, it is March the 26th, which means it's Monday. We're breaking down the hottest news that came out over the weekend. And there was not that much news that came out over the weekend, but enough to construct a pretty solid show. Uh, so without further ado, I suppose we'll go ahead and jump into what we've got going on. First off, uh, I want to talk about... I want to talk about a way out because I played this over the weekend and it was a life-changing experience. It was genuinely a fantastic narrative built within a game that had some solid gameplay, although I would have changed a couple of things about it. Uh, But overwhelmingly, the game itself is a very solid representation of what I've come to expect from a story game, and I didn't actually think that it came from Electronic Arts, to be honest with you. It does not feel like an Electronic Arts kind of game. Uh, So for those that don't know what a way out is, uh, essentially, uh, without giving away too many details, you are uh, one of two people that are pairing up and trying to break out of prison. That's pretty much what the gist of the entire idea is. And so they're helping each other, they're doing things, and essentially it's a unique twist on couch co-op where you don't have to be on the couch Uh, You know, playing co-op side-by-side to actually enjoy this game to the fullest and experience it like couch co-op. The video, or the... um. The screen itself is pretty much always split up into two sections. Now, occasionally there are, you know, some overlaps where somebody will just have the entirety of the screen and then there's a nice transition. A beautiful scene taking place within a hospital that I would highly recommend checking out on YouTube if you have no intention of playing this game. It is still worth watching. Uh, But there are um, certain elements that are used, such as, uh, you know, splitting the screen in two to have a better view of everybody's perspective of what's going on in the situation. So let's say you're getting chased by the cops uh, through some kind of hotel or a or, you know, a a store or something like that. Uh, Instead of focusing on what one person is seeing, or uh, if you're playing over the internet, playing exactly what each individual is seeing, you see what your friend is also, uh, you know, experiencing right then and there at that moment. And that really does bring a different kind of element. I think it brings a unique twist on the storytelling that I've come to expect from a game. And it did it incredibly well and uh, in an incredibly intuitive way. And so with that being said, I played through the entire thing in probably about six hours or so. I did it all in one stream. It's up on the YouTube or the uh, the Twitch channel in my past broadcast if you did want to check it out. But... um. It's not a long game. It only costs $30. And the cool thing about it is what I'm showing you right here. There's actually a friend. Oh, God, that's loud. Wow, that's. Oh, hold on. Man. 
Yeah, one more thing. This is essentially because what you gotta do. It's a co-op experience only. If you wanna play it online with your friend, you don't have to buy two copies. This one. Exactly. You only buy one copy and you invite your friend to play with you for exactly. free. You see what I I'm mean, saying? the entire game for free, for real. So that's essentially what you've got going on. That's that's the gist of it. That's the summary of it. Essentially, you only have to buy one copy of the game, uh, and you can play with whoever you want. You can show it and share it and do all of that good stuff. You can literally play through the entirety of the game with somebody else with only one copy. Uh, it has been confirmed that Electronic Arts is in fact losing money on this, but all of the proceeds from this game uh, do end up going to the development studio itself, which is a relatively smaller studio. Uh, so that's always good stuff. 30 bucks is not bad for the experience that you get, but I do know that uh, you know money is tight for a lot of people. Some people like myself are in college. They don't want to spend a ton of money. It is completely and totally understandable. I completely and totally get it. Uh, you know, but if you do have 30 bucks to throw at a game, if you do have the drive to play something that is story-based in the best way possible, uh, then I would 100% recommend checking out A Way Out. If I had to rate it, uh, I would say it's probably about a, a 9 out of 10, and I would give it a 9 out of 10 because of the control scheme. Uh, the cover system is incredibly janky. I'm not exactly sure what they were thinking when they went in and did that. This game would be almost perfect if it had the cover system of The Division, where essentially you're sprinting from cover to cover, uh, kind of like a cover-based shooter kind of setup. That would be exactly what I could see fitting within this game specifically. Uh, and I don't think that would take away from any of the stealthy, you know, portions of the missions. Obviously, the division is more focused on uh, doing something with uh, with cover-based shooting instead of being stealthy, but it still works with what you've got going on. Uh, all of that, you know, I digress. When it comes down to it, A Way Out is one of the best games that I've played in the past couple of years, story-wise. Uh, so it's 100% totally worth checking out if you do have some time. Moving along to our first real story, which is coming to us from Destructoid. And man, they have some very small little icons up here in the corner, don't they? Um, but the uh, the writer by the name of Peter Glagowski over at Destructoid says, Hellblade is making the jump to Xbox One X Enhanced 2. The indie AA hit Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice is now confirmed to be making a jump to Xbox One after a ratings board sort of leaked the existence of a port. The game will launch on April 11th and retail for the regular $29.99 and contain some Xbox One enhancements in the form of various performance modes. Anyone that pre-orders the title or purchases it during the first week will receive a 10% discount. The Xbox One modes include Enhanced Visuals Mode, which offers higher quality visual FX, High Frame Rate Mode, which runs the game at 60 fps is that really is that really high frame rate and a high resolution mode which provides a dynamic 4k resolution for the game there are no other improvements or additions mentioned for this port while i've still not managed to play hellblade i have a lot of respect for developer ninja theory breaking away from traditional games publishing and forging its own path in this industry it's nice to see a developer create its own vision and stick it to it with publisher or without publisher interference so essentially uh, this game was talked about heavily last year, uh, whenever it was released on the PlayStation 4, and I believe PC around the same time, uh, for being an incredible source of commentary on mental illness. That's the one thing that I remember about this game, and I think that's the one thing they were really trying to drive home uh, when it comes to what they had going on with Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice. Uh, this game, I haven't played it either. I really don't know that much about it. I want to play it at some point, and the fact that it's only 30 bucks is very tempting. Uh, but it's very cool to see it coming to the Xbox One because of the, the message that it does deliver. 
Uh, of course, uh, whenever you have something coming to another console, there tends to be this kind of uh, this kind of lack of excitement. For instance, whenever Rise of the Tomb Raider came over to the Xbox One after spending a lot of uh, time on the PlayStation 4, if I remember correctly, uh, one of the two, I believe it was flopped around for the first return of Tomb Raider, or whatever it was called. Uh, but essentially, whenever a game hops platforms, it seems like everybody is less excited because the game has already been out, and everybody's seen it, and it's been talked about, it's been streamed, it's been, you know, uh, let's played, etc you don't really have that same level of excitement. Uh, with Hellblade, I think that it does carry a little bit more value. I think it carries a little bit more excitement. And of course, you do get that 10% discount if you do get it on the Xbox One, the Xbox One S, or the Xbox One X. Um, and especially with a game as beautiful and as dynamic as this one, I think that the enhanced visuals uh, that are that are offered and the different modes that are offered as far as visual fidelity goes do end up impacting the game in a positive way. I think that really does improve the reception of the game because you can pretty much adjust it to however you really want to experience the game. If you want to make it look prettier uh, in 1080p, then you can go ahead and hit on that enhanced visuals mode. If you want the high frame rate, which is probably what I would go with, then you can hit up that 60 FPS on your Xbox One X. And of course, the high resolution mode, uh, which will let you take advantage of 4K. So essentially, whatever setup you've got, whatever you've got going on, then 100% you can get the best looking possible game out of Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice on the Xbox One X. Uh, is this a must play? I would say that it probably is. You know, I think that it's been uh, one of those games that has been around for a long time. It's been a substantial part of what I have come to kind of expect from the industry because much like A Way Out, it's such a, a, a cornerstone of storytelling at this point. It's such a game that has had an impact on so many people that you can't help but just wonder, you know, what you would be missing out on if you didn't end up checking out this game at some point or another. And so, um, for 30 bucks, if you want to pick it up for a 10% discount as well, on the Xbox One this week, you can pick up Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice, uh, which I don't believe that I covered in the drop, which is coming out today at 9am, the morning show that I release every single Monday where I go through the top video game releases of the week. Uh, and you can check that out on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media. But yes, it is um, incredibly interesting to see that this game is kind of branching out and not doing the standard kind of publishing thing, which I really do respect. I think it's fantastic. Good for them, and I wish them the best of luck. Moving along to a game that is already near and dear to my heart. Uh, this is a tweet coming to you from Spike Chunsoft Incorporated. The countdown is over. We're extremely proud and happy to announce the first of our lineup from Q Games. We're bringing Tower Defense favorite Pixel Junk Monsters 2 to the PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, and Steam for North America and Europe this May 25th for $14.99. Uh, I played the original Pixel Junk Monsters back in the day, and let me tell you, this is one of those games that really did strike a love for Tower Defense games within me. I didn't realize how much I truly needed this game in my life. Uh, I played the original one on the uh, PSP back in the day, and then I also played it on the PlayStation Vita later on, and both versions of the game. I believe that the Vita version is actually just a port of the original version, uh, but essentially, it is a fantastic experience. Now, obviously, checking out this, uh, checking out this image that we have here, uh, this is completely and totally different than the original game. Obviously, the art style is different. It almost looks like a claymation kind of setup, uh, which I surprisingly enjoy. Now, they have said there have been um, there have been comments made by one of the developers, uh, but by, by the name of Dylan Cuthbert, I think is what is uh, is how you pronounce that. But I've been you know following along with his development since I you know checked out the original Pixel Junk Monsters. Uh, literally talked to the man via Twitter whenever I was about ten. Um, but, uh, and, and and yes, I have had Twitter since I was about 10, believe it or not. I am getting that old. 
yes, I talked to the developer when I was about 10, and the game looked different. The game did not play the same. And so it'll be a unique kind of experience that really does push the boundaries of what to expect from Pixel Junk Monsters. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think that releasing something that's so similar to the first one wouldn't be beneficial in the long run. I don't think anyone anyone would care, you know. If it was the same exact game, just flipped on its head, turned around a little bit, I don't think anybody would genuinely really go out and buy it. But with these new elements being brought to the table, with these new elements that are really, you know, switching things up with Pixel Junk Monsters, I do think... Uh, that it can actually come out on top and become one of maybe the best-selling indies of 2018. We'd have to see what happens, but I think that especially with this game being on the Switch and especially being the tower defense game that it is, I just really believe that it's going to take off and and go. Uh, shockingly, not shockingly, no Xbox One version. I'm not really surprised by this because Pixel Junk has always been kind of one of those PlayStation things. Um, you know, if you go back and look at Pixel Junk Shooter, if you go back and look at Pixel Junk Monsters, the original one, it's always been stuff that's on PlayStation. I'm actually surprised that it's coming to the Switch, and I have a feeling that's actually a move uh, made on Sony's part towards Nintendo, or there was a lot of money exchanging hands, probably a little bit of both. Uh, but for $14.99, you can check out the game whenever it comes out on May the 25th on the PlayStation 4, the Switch, and Steam for North America and Europe, which is going to be a game that I more than likely will end up getting on the Switch, because I really do need more Switch games. I don't talk about this enough whenever I'm making podcasts, whenever I'm you know uh, doing streams and stuff like that, but I really, really need to play my Switch. I don't have any games on it that I'm interested in. Uh, the thing just sits there and collects dust, and I feel bad about it. I really have considered selling it. I've had people convince me that I shouldn't sell it. I'm always trying to figure out a way that I can convince myself to get rid of it, and uh, and I just can't because it's such a novelty. Everybody loves it so much. It would be kind of like getting rid of the firstborn son. People just have fallen in love uh, with this little this little device, and so with a game like Pixel Junk Monsters 2 coming out, I do believe that that would bring a little bit more value to the console for me. Maybe I might get it on PC just because that's where I spend the most of my time playing games. You know, when it comes down to it, that's where I like to spend my time whenever I'm gaming. And so uh, hopefully this game will turn out well on all the platforms. But if I had to pick my shot, I guess, if I had to, if I had to place my nuggets on one side of the McDonald's table, I would go for the Nintendo Switch version of the game. But we'll have to see how it goes. We'll see what shakes out. I'm excited about this game. Moving along to our main story, which is our headliner for the day on the thumbnail on YouTube. Coming to us from GameSpot, which is written by Kevin Knezvink. Uh, Last day to buy Wii Shop Channel games before it shuts down, which was actually yesterday. Aw. Get them while you can. Uh, Last fall, Nintendo announced that it will shut down the Wii Shop channel. While the digital storefront will still be operational until next January, this weekend is effectively your last chance to buy any titles from it. From March 26, players will no longer be able to purchase points for the Wii Shop on either Wii or Wii U. Points that are already available in your account following that day can still be redeemed for titles until the service is discontinued next January, but you won't be able to add any more to your balance, which is the only way to download titles. Unlike Switch's digital storefront, the eShop, the Wii Shop channel, doesn't allow users to purchase games directly with real money. Rather, players have to first buy Wii points using either a credit card or a prepaid card, which could then be redeemed for digital software from the service. This was the stupidest thing that I've ever seen. I don't understand the concept of having your own storefront and requiring somebody to buy your own currency before giving them your game. I don't get that. 
just let me hook up my PayPal, let me hook up my digital, you know, uh, credit card, whatever I might have, and just let me go ahead and do something with it. Just let me buy your game. I'm wanting to give you money for a game. That's all I want. It's really, sincerely, not that big of a deal. You can do that. You know, we, we can make that happen. Uh, but I digress. Um, the Wii Shop channel shuts down for good on January 31st, 2019. It is notable for being Nintendo's first digital storefront, though it appears, uh, or, or though it will perhaps best be remembered for its impossibly catchy music, which has an amazing uh, remix that is set to Hotline Bling. Uh, until then, players can still redownload and transfer Wii Shop games to Wii U and all WiiWare and virtual console titles purchased from the service will still be playable as long as they're on the system's memory. Uh, so, for those that want to stock up on Wii points, it looks like at the time of recording this video, you are more than likely out of luck, uh, unless the servers have yet to be uh, switched around. Uh, it is very unfortunate to see a storefront close down, but unfortunately, that's what we're going to be seeing more and more as time goes on. You know, eventually, Microsoft, if they haven't already, is going to have to shut down the Xbox 360's store. You just simply have to do that. You can't leave it up forever because games aren't going to be, you know, lasting that long. People are going to be, you know, going on to the next generation of consoles. You can't just keep something rolling forever. You have to move move on with the uh, with the image of the company. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here with, with uh, with the Nintendo Wii Shop closing down this week. But it is significant. You know, this was the first, as it said, Nintendo's digital storefront. It was the debut one. It is pretty much the foundational cornerstone of what created the modern eShop that we have today, which I think is a much better way of doing things. Still not perfect. Still better than PlayStation Store. Uh, that is 100% a fact. However, um, to see it going down in this way, to see it kind of doing a slow and painful death, you know, where you can't buy points and then you just kind of slowly wither away over the course of a year. That's very unfortunate to see. But, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you have to do it that way uh, because there are inevitably, go inevitably, inevitably going to be people there that are um, that are trying to spend their points and they don't want to be cut off right then and there. You have to have kind of a leeway point. Uh, maybe somebody bought a ton of points yesterday and is going through buying all of the games that they want right now. Uh, because the Wii has a lot of virtual console potential. I think that it's one of those ones that will really keep a lot of games alive just simply because of what it is capable of. It's got a lot of virtual console titles. It's got a lot of significant games um, that can only be bought through the virtual shop itself. And so it's unfortunate to see it go, but, you know, it was it was good while it lasted. As I always say whenever something like this comes along, you know, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened, it's that kind of thing. So, whether you liked the Wii, whether you didn't like the Wii, whether you're switching everything over to the Wii U, or you're like me and just kind of left everything behind with the Wii and is, you know, you're just now picking up a Switch, then you can check out the Wii Shop channel and see if you've got any points left over uh, for the next year or so because then it will shut down. And I almost guarantee you that one year from now we will be talking about this on a morning show uh, where it is now being shut down completely and totally, which will be a very, very sad day. But, you know, effectively, this is the death. This is just, this is pulling the plug, and the next year is just waiting on, waiting on the dude to die. Um, moving along to Push Square's story, uh, written by Robert Ramsey after Cyber Twenty. Uh, let me try again. After Cyberpunk 2077, CD Projekt Red plans to release another quote-unquote AAA RPG by 2021. 
It feels like we've waited an age to see something more of Cyberpunk 2077, but developer CD Projekt Red is already looking past its upcoming project and into the unknown future beyond. Obviously, this is the kind of long-term planning that companies need to consider, but it still makes for some interesting reading. Indeed, the studio's latest financial report, which be warned is absolutely colossal in PDF form, points out that following the launch of Cyberpunk 2077, the developer is looking to release another quote-unquote AAA story-driven RPG by 2021. At this juncture, there are no real clues as to what this mystery game may be. Assuming Cyberpunk 2077 makes it out in 2019, this suggests that CD Projekt Red is going to be rather busy over the next couple of years. Of course, we're not going to hear anything more about this next title until Cyberpunk 2077 has hit the market, but everyone loves a bit of speculation. What kind of RPG would you like to see from CD Projekt Red? Engage in the comment section down below. It appears that 24 people have engaged and or replied to one another. Um... So this is incredibly interesting to me. This is a story that broke Friday, uh, directly after the recording of that episode of Caffeinate, but this is going to be incredibly interesting to see how they pull this off. Um, CD Projekt Red right now, for those that don't know, they are the developers of The Witcher. Uh, They had incredible success with The Witcher 3, and also the way that they handled the PR for that game was was one... uh, it, It should be replicated by everybody that creates a game. They were completely and totally upfront. They didn't charge anything that wasn't, you know, worthy of being charged for. The DLC obviously was uh, something that you had to buy, but there were so many updates about the game. There were so many uh, different kinds of things you could do within the. It was just the amount of game that you got for your buck and the amount of support that you got from the developers and the way that they included a thank you note in the box for the game itself. There were so many things done right with The Witcher uh, that you would be insane to complain about it, I would think. Um,. But it's incredibly cool to see that CD Projekt Red is making another game because that shows initiative, that shows drive, that shows passion. Uh, with Cyberpunk 2077, it's going to be another hit, I think. I, I don't know that it will necessarily become The Witcher 3, you know, reincarnate. I don't think it's going to be one of those games that is going to be the pinnacle of entertainment for the year, but... I think that it will definitely win awards. I think it's going to be one of the most impressive games of the year whenever it does come out, whether it be this year or next year. I think it's actually next year, if I remember correctly. Um, That will be a very exciting time uh, for CD Projekt Red and fans of giant open-world games because this one is going to be absolutely massive in scale, in what you can do, in density. It's going to be an incredibly fun game to play if I had to, you know, place my bet. Uh, will they do the exact same kind of thing with another AAA RPG that has not been announced yet? I don't know. It doesn't make sense in my mind for them to go ahead and do that. It just doesn't add up for me uh, to see somebody releasing another game with this large of a scope so close to another you know, major release like this. I just can't imagine them doing this. So we'll have to see what shakes out. I don't know that that's exactly what's going to end up happening, you know. Uh, it would be interesting to uh, to follow along with, and I suppose that we will as time goes on and as this story unfolds more and more. But CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077 should be releasing next year if things do end up panning out, and it's going to be quite one for the record books, if I had to guess. Uh, but again, we'll just have to wait and see. The next story comes to us from Polygon. A Street Fighter TV series is in the works based on a live-action web series, Street Fighter Assassin's Fist. This story is written by Charlie Hall, again from Polygon. There is a Street Fighter television show in the works. According to Deadline Hollywood, distribution and production company Entertainment One has signed on to support the team behind Street Fighter Assassin's Fist, a web series that debuted in 2014. The project has the full support of the game's developer and publisher, Capcom. The TV show will be based on the storyline first introduced in 1991 Street Fighter II, The World Warrior, and it will feature classic characters like Ryu, Ken, Guile, Chun-Li, and M. Bison. 
It, this is just badass. Okay, I'm sorry. This is amazing. Um, Entertainment One's president, Mark Gordon, will be personally involved in the project. His previous organization, the Mark Gordon Company, was recently bought out by Entertainment One. Its past credits include films such as Saving Private Ryan and Speed, two incredibly notable games or uh, movies, excuse, excuse me, uh, especially Saving Private Ryan. That's the one that really stands out to me. The company is currently in production on Grey's Anatomy and Quantico, among others. After a long search guided by the team behind Assassin's Fist, we are delighted to be partnering with a company from the outstanding TV experience of Mark Gordon and EU1. They have the credentials to help us launch a faithful adaptation of Street Fighter as a major TV series, said Yoshinori Ono, Capcom's executive producer on the Street Fighter series. The Assassin's Fist was a 12-part series focusing on Ken and Ryu, originally produced for Machinima and distributed on YouTube. I remember this very well. I watched it when it first came out. I think it's going to be... Oh my god, I'm so excited. Uh, the series originally started as a Kickstarter b- project back in 2013 before a private funding source was found and the campaign was cancelled. The complete series is available on Amazon Video to rent as well as own on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, it's a very difficult balance when it comes to figuring out what works whenever you're making some kind of adaptation of a game, whether it be going from game to movie, game to TV show, game to book, whatever it may be, there are so many examples of it not being done correctly that it's very challenging to actually nail it whenever you do have the chance to actually nail it. And so um, I think that Assassin's Fist was one of the first ones that really did do a fantastic job of creating an accurate representation of what the game brings to the table while also bringing a solid element of story to the mix. Um, I remember watching this back whenever I was in either late middle school or early high school. I wasn't genuinely, like, you know, deeply invested in what we had going on with Street Fighter uh, Assassin's Fist, but it was very cool to see some of the characters that I had always known from fighting games, like Ryu, like Ken, in real life on something that was resembling a TV show or, you know, in this case, a web series, but essentially a TV show when it comes down to it. And um, I was surprised that this wasn't picked up earlier. I thought that we had had more Street Fighter movies and TV shows from, you know, the past couple of years. Uh, But as it turns out, the only ones that I can really recall are the ones that are absolutely terrible and can often be found in uh, in the dollar bin of your Dollar Tree. In fact, often in the clearance bin of your Dollar Tree because it is absolutely terrible. And for those that don't have Dollar Trees, um, it's pretty much this glorious land uh, where everything is a dollar. Uh, Everything from, uh, you know, body soap to, to ham to milk to candy, to Christmas decorations, to to stuffing for Thanksgiving. It depends on what you want, uh, but essentially everything is, a, you know, a dollar. And that's where I actually found, I think, some kind of movie that was way back in the day, Street Fighter 2, something like that. They made some kind of terrible movie adaptation, and it was absolutely hilarious. Very definitive memory for me. I don't know, it's kind of like one of those things where you pause and you think, you know, I'm going to remember this at some point. And you don't know why, that was one of those memories. But I digress, this is going to be a fantastic uh, look inside what goes on behind the adaptation going from game to television show, because this is certainly something that is ambitious, and will be interesting to see if it does pan out. But hopefully everything will be right as rain whenever this one does end up actually coming out on, I would assume actual television probably going to be a cw kind of tv show i really don't think that it's going to be you know on a and e or or tnt or any kind of you know major major network but i think it might be on your kind of local station more so but uh, you can check out a little bit of the gameplay or the uh the movie right here i don't want to do too much audio but very cool stuff you know it looks good it's a high quality it genuinely looks 
like a pretty accurate representation. I feel like obviously it's hard to re- replicate those those muscles that you get from Ryu and Ken. So uh, they did well enough, I would say, well enough. Moving along to another story from Polygon's Owen S. Good. Uh, it can be followed on Twitter at Owen Good. Uh, Hori is making a left Joy-Con with a D-pad with several catches. Only works in portable mode, no rumble. Very unfortunate for those uh, those last couple of words there. Hori is making a left Joy-Con controller for the Nintendo Switch that features a cross-button directional pad in lieu of the stock Joy-Con's four buttons, but it comes with some serious drawbacks. The first is that it appears to be available in Japan only, but even if it does come to the West or if you import it, there are several functions on the Switch it does not support. Notably, it only works in handheld mode, meaning you can't slap this and the right Joy-Con into the Joy-Con grip and play off the TV, nor does it work for local multiplayer. Even playing with it in handheld mode loses more features on the left side. No HD rumble and no gyroscope. There's no SL or SR button to use or the sync or player LED light, but all as these are on the side of the Joy-Con that is docked on the Switch, you wouldn't use them anyway. Oh, and it only comes in dark blue, so that not may, that you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't look good with your current Joy-Con setup. Uh, Hori's page touts it as a perfect companion, I guess, for playing fighting games and classic titles with a D-pad in its traditional gamepad location. Hey Tiff, good morning. Down by the left thumb, for those who want both the feeling and aesthetics of a D-pad and don't mind losing the rumble or tilt control of the left side, the D-pad left Joy-Con will go for, wow, 2,480 yen when it launches in July, which is almost about $24 USD right now. Uh, does we still exist, she says in the chat. Yes, yes it does. Uh, this is actually for the Switch itself. This is not for the Wii. The Wii does still exist. That was a that was a topic we covered just a couple of minutes ago where the Wii Shop channel is shutting down. Uh, so you need to take all those points that you have accumulated because I'm sure you have millions and, and go buy your games within the next year. But the Switch version of this little Joy-Con uh, is coming out in a couple of weeks, I think, a couple of months. But for those who insist on a D-pad but need more versatility, there's always the Pro Controller when your Switch is docked or in kickstand mode. Uh, yeah, about this. This is genuinely just a Japan-only accessory for a reason because that's where the majority of people use the Switch in only exclusively handheld mode. Uh, for those that don't know how the Switch works, it essentially is a handheld console that can also be plugged into a dock and then displayed on your television, your computer monitor, whatever it may be. Uh, and then on top of that, you can also literally split up the Joy-Cons and play split-screen games on the little small device itself. It's very impressive. Um literally take off one of these uh, and then you use this as the screen so to have something like that is great for places that you're you know you're out and about it's genuinely okay to game in public you know some people would be a little bit hesitant about doing that myself included I don't really like uh, you know playing games whenever I'm not at home not at the computer it just isn't for me I like interacting with my surroundings more so than that but um, the Switch does very well in bringing that kind of capability, and so uh, to go ahead and add on this attachment that makes a genuine D-pad is kind of a no-brainer for this part of the world because a lot of people just play in docked mode. They don't often play, you know, sitting at home. They're always, you know, or at least the way they're portrayed is that they're always on buses, they're always on trains, etc., walking around, spending some time in the office playing, whatever it might be. Uh, that's pretty much the the draw for this console, and it is for me as well. Uh, so that's kind of the way that I see this for $24, you know, it's one of those things where even if you don't get the full experience, if you don't get rumble, if you don't get a whole bunch of the other bells and whistles that we get with the normal kind of joy con, uh, it's still kind of worth it depending on what kind of game you play. Obviously no gyroscope, big drawback. That kind of sucks. Uh, when it comes down to it, that's just not a cool thing. Nobody likes not having a gyroscope. So, I mean, obviously in, in everyday life, nobody likes not having a gyroscope. 
But it is very cool to see that Hori is finally getting into the accessories game where you literally have some kind of controller for the Nintendo Switch. As a side note, I also want to say for any Switch owners out there that may be listening to the podcast, checking out the YouTube video or anything like that, uh, there are actually Redbox locations now that are renting out Switch cartridges. So if you have a game that you want to try, if you have something you want to check out, then you can obviously swing by your local Redbox and actually pick that up. Uh, which I didn't expect would ever happen. It seems like one of those things where if 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 uh, game disc weren't already easy enough to steal and not return back to Redbox, it seems like this is just kind of the no-brainer way to go ahead and get some free Nintendo Switch games. Um, yeah, so you can check that out if you are a fan of the Switch or... If you want to check out the new controller and you're in Japan, congratulations. If you want to check out the new controller and you're in America, uh, good luck on those inboard fees. But aside from that, it's going to be cool to see if this thing actually does end up working out or if people just completely and totally bail on it like that uh, like that controller whenever you're a kid that you never really want, but the one that you're always stuck with whenever you're uh, you know over at a friend's house or whatever. That's the kind of way that I'm seeing this controller. Uh, but we will see how it does end up panning out. Now, the final story of the morning actually is a video but more so we can just see roller coaster tycoon uh mix classic gameplay with mobile accessibility on the switch coming to us straight from gdc now for those that are not watching along on youtube or on twitch or uh you know you're listening in podcast form obviously if you're not doing the first two you're probably doing the latter uh this is a screenshot of roller coaster tycoon working incredibly well on the switch it looks like i just can't help but wish uh, that it was uh, something like City Skylines or something like that. However, let's go ahead and check out this gameplay. I love Shaq News so much. Shaq News is great. So essentially, it, it's working very well on the Switch. I don't know what else to really, you know, explain here. That's pretty much what it comes down to. It just works very well. Uh, but... I feel like with the Switch, that's a fantastic place to put something like a Roller Coaster Tycoon because um, as a kid, I used to love playing Roller Coaster Tycoon on the PlayStation 2. I think that it was a very well-fitting game for that console. And so to see this kind of experience coming to the Switch, it's one of those cool things where you can pick it up, build a little bit, put it back down, pick it back up, build a little bit later, uh, finish at night, and then experience it all over again the next day. It's very much so a game where you can put some time into it, pause it, come back to it, and you have, you know, not lost anything or you've not lost any kind of, uh, you know, part of that experience. It still is a quality uh, gaming experience overall. So... You know, to see it coming to the Switch at some point is very, very cool. I'm not sure when the game is supposed to come out. It doesn't, you know, say anything. It uh, it, it doesn't give me a date or anything except for this. Are you interested in Roller Coaster on this or whatever the game's called on the Switch? Or does the recent controversy surrounding its crowdfunding campaign put you off? I don't really, I don't really care about that to be honest. But um, cool to see it finally coming to the Switch. I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, obviously, it was a bit of a light weekend when it comes down to it. I don't believe that there were too many. Too many shows, or too many, too many, uh, you know, informational sessions uh, about some new games coming out or any kind of new gaming news. It was kind of a slow news day overall. Uh, but I want to thank you guys for joining me on today's episode of Caffeinate. I think it's been a pretty solid one, you know. Uh, we had a couple of major news stories over the weekend, but if you are new to the YouTube channel, you can check out all of the content that I make down below. There is a new episode of The Drop uh, coming out this morning at 9 a.m., which is going to be a fantastic one. And on top of that, uh, we also have this podcast going up on Anchor.
anchor.fm and and, uh, other places as well. You can keep an eye out for that. Uh, But as for right now, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate each and every one of you that takes the time to check out the morning show at some point or another. It's been the most recent passion project of mine, and so it's very cool to see it kind of panning out. And I'm still working on figuring out exactly the best way to do things and, uh, and where to distribute it at. But we are working on getting it everywhere, you know, spreading the wings of our eagle back and flying. I don't know how else to say that. But um, you guys have a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow morning right here on Caffeinate at 6 a.m. And I hope you have the best week you've ever had. I will talk to you guys very soon and peace.